Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week four is in the books, and buddy, it has been an eventful one. How are you doing? Five underdogs, one outright. Five underdogs, one outright. And, I mean, yeah, of the seven games that we previewed in any amount of depth, like there were there were technically ten games, but three of them were against FCS teams, so I'll, I'll you know, we'll forget about those, but five out of seven FBS competition games in the ACC this weekend. You are correct, sir. The underdog won those games. It is. It was a bit of a you know wild nuts weekend in the ACC that we're kind of just starting to get used to at this point in the season. Yeah, the one thing we mentioned uh, when we were previewing these games is, man, this slate looks you know a couple of good games, mostly games that we thought we had a pretty good handle on. So naturally, we knew this was going to get a little bit weird, and it did. Mm-hmm. It sure did. It sure did. Mike, we have a lot to talk about. The, the, again, these were some very eventful games and some very meaningful outcomes. So let's dive right in. The mm-hmm. big, big one from Saturday afternoon, the NC yep. State Wolfpack 27, the Clemson Tigers 21 in double overtime. Uh, and can I, can I say first, what a disgusting beat on the total. This was uh, just <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> I am still really steamed about this. I had under 47 and a half and we went like freaking Connor Dunn missing field goals at the, at the horn that would have set the game, you know, been done with 31 points. Oh my God. This is gross. Anyways, Mike, what's wrong with Clemson? Well, before we get to that, um, my kid's college was not paid for this week. Let's put it that way. (laughs) No. Um, Electricity is barely staying on after the begin at the window. <laughs> Someone's knocking so, on the door saying that you got to get out, but uh, yeah, got to finish the podcast first. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, we got the we got the collectors coming, Joey. <laughs> uh, this is just Clemson's got some issues, and I'm not sure they're going to be fixed this year, Joey. I think that this. This idea that Clemson has always had like an elite offensive line is just not the case, right? No, that's been yeah, that's if, worse. If you're under the impression that Clemson has been, you know, really monstrous on the offensive line in the last five years, you were mistaken. Yeah, it's kind of like the worst kept secret among the elite in college football. It's like Clemson's offensive line is actually not that good in comparison to their peers. Mm-hmm. They've just had quarterbacks in skill position t- you know, to be able to cover it up. And this year, Joey, they don't have that. They don't have that. So what you're seeing is you're seeing an offensive line in Clemson that is unable to consistently block in the running game and the passing game. You're seeing a quarterback that, in reality, is a bit in over his head. DJ Uyangalale is not very good. and he, I He doesn't look right. 
he, he does he doesn't look right now i don't know i mean he's a highly rated recruit like every clemson quarterback is at this point um this stage of of their program he's a highly rated quarterback recruit you know the talent there but joey he's not very good and clemson is in a kind of this weird spot right now where they have a bunch of receivers who do the exact same thing. Um, they don't have any variation in their receiving core. They don't have a slot guy like an Amari Rogers or a Hunter Renfro. Like they don't have that guy. Um, they, they're missing that and they need to find that guy to really help them in, in the short to intermediate passing game because EJU doesn't have time to throw it deep down the field. And he also doesn't have anybody getting open short. In addition to that, he doesn't really want to run. He had nine carries for 63 yards in this game, so he took off a few times and, and got some yards. That was one of Clemson's but, best plays of the game was when he ripped off like a 35-yard run to give him first and goal. And right. It, it's, I feel like when he has run this year, it's it's worked, and it's gone really right. well. Like He had a long run to convert a, a third and 14 or something against Georgia Tech last week. So why yeah, don't I mean, you run him more? Right. He had a 37-yard carry. Other than that, he had eight carries for 26 yards. So he's not exactly, you know, uh, he's exactly a key cog in a running game. Like you mentioned, the, that play where he took off and scrambled and, and got that huge gain, that was one of their best plays of the game on offense. Mm-hmm. And I just think they have, a, they have a real problem with being able to block up front. And this isn't unique to Clemson. I'm, there are several teams I'm going to be talking about tonight who cannot block. So Clemson, this is not unique to Clemson. We're just not used to seeing it. And um, NC State, on the other hand, I was really impressed with their defense. And again, I, I think we're going to learn a bit more about NC State's defense as the year goes along. But I thought that NC State's defense has played well and has been pretty consistent all year long. When we were previewing this game, the reason why I picked Clemson to cover, even though it was a pretty big spread relative to how the offense has been performing, is because I thought that NC State would have trouble up front with Clemson's defensive line. Now, there are some injuries here, right? Brian Brissie ends up tearing his ACL. Um, you know, he left the game. James Skalski, obviously the guy in the middle of Clemson's defensive linebacker, uh, left this game as well with an injury. Um, it, that's more of like a concussion or a stinger. It was a stinger is what they were saying on the sideline. I think it was their, their concern. They might've had a concussion. So they pulled him from the game, but proceed tears his ACL. Will Shipley left the game with a knee injury, but you know, he'll be, he'll be okay. He might be out a couple of weeks, but he'll be okay. And once again, Tyler Davis, the other defensive lineman for Clemson. I mean, he right. went out as well last week. He's, he's out for a while. Yeah. Towards biceps. So he's out a while. So Clemson's now got some injuries piling up on the defensive line. Um, and their offense isn't performing well. And I just, man, it is just very surprising to see a number 25 by Clemson's name in the new AP poll. That's just mm-hmm. very surprising. And I don't want to take anything away from NC State. I thought Devin Leary played really well. Obviously, he threw four touchdown passes. He was really good. Uh, Ricky Person and BM Knight, they ran hard. Did they have a ton of success? No, but they had enough success. Um, and you know, opened up the passing game for Devin Leary. And that was a big question coming into this game is whether or not they were going to be able to have enough in the running game, enough success to keep Clemson's defense off balance. And they did. And to NC State's credit, they've had the most success out of any offense that has faced Clemson so far this year. Yep. So yep. props to them. Props to Devin Leary. Great coaching job by Dave Doran, getting them ready to play. 
And this is a big win for NC State, but Clemson's got some serious issues, and that's the story of this football game. I, I was going to say, like, we we have to talk about how good of a performance this was from NC State, to yep. be sure. Um, I, I mean, NC State's defense played really well. They kept Clemson in front of them. They did not give Clemson anything easy. Like, Clemson had maybe, like, two to three, you know, what you'd call explosive plays throughout the game. Yep. They had a couple of long throws and that long run by DJ Ungalale. And other than that, like, it was short, dink and dunk, like, you know, a couple yards here, four yards there. Like, Clemson did not get to get into any real rhythm to speak of throughout this game. And that is a, a just a, a tribute to how good NC State's defense was. Uh, and they, they brought it. Now, it helped them, Mike, that NC State's defense was barely on the field in this game. Um, Clemson only had the ball for a shade over 18 minutes in this game. Clemson only ran, uh, what, like 49 offensive plays, and that included yeah. overtime? Yeah. Part of that was because NC State's offense would not get off the field. NC State finishes this game with 31 first downs. They went 11 for 21 on third down. Uh, they only averaged, you know, a little over four yards per play. You know, maybe, yeah, a little over four yards of play, like, so, and this is the thing, and I said this at one point in the game, is like, NC State, that offense against a really, really good Clemson defense, it's like they're moving the ball, but kind of in the way that, you know, it's moving your car if you get out and start pushing it. Like, it's it's not easy, it's not efficient, it's not quick, but you're getting somewhere, and that's exactly what NC State did. Like, they, they were able to stay ahead of the chains, convert third down, stay on the field, and... and I mean, honestly, this game should not have gone to overtime. Like, NC no. State missed three field goals. They had a lot of scoring opportunities um, that they should have won this game by more in regulation. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, again, they played their tails off on both sides of the ball. Huge game for them. And, and like you said, Devin Leary and, and just all the dudes on that offense. Um, throw it out here. This is Dave Doran's first win over a top 10 team at NC state. And honestly, I just, as I think about it, I can't think of anything else that would have previously qualified as like a real signature win. Like this is his first signature win at NC state and all the mess that I've talked about him. I get to shut up now, Mike. <laughs> yep. Yep. You do. You get to keep your mouth shut now, <laughs> but I, I just can't, uh, it's funny because NC State was a team that we looked at along with Boston College, and I want to say that we are and we have always been a Wake Forest podcast, shall we? Mm-hmm. And we said that Wake Forest could sneak into that conversation as maybe the second best team in the Atlantic. Uh, Joey, NC State could win the Atlantic. They're in the driver's seat. They've got they've got the win. They have the win, and I look at the rest of their schedule. And there are a lot of games they can win on there. Mm-hmm. They got Louisiana Tech on Saturday. They go on the road to BC. That I will talk about BC, but I think that's a winnable game at Miami. That's a winnable game. Louisville, Florida State at Wake, home against Syracuse, home against UNC. Mm-hmm. There's a chance mm-hmm. NC State, and I won't bank on it because NC State is very, like a lot of teams in the ACC, can be a very weak to weak team. But the way I've looked at NC State through the first four weeks of the season, they've been as consistent as anybody in the ACC. They lost a tough game in a tough road environment in Starkville against Mississippi State. There's a chance they don't lose again. Hmm. But it's the ACC, so they will. Well, yeah. (laughs) 
So yeah, it's it's been a, uh, it's been a season so far in terms of consistency yeah. across a lot of teams. Um, yeah, I just great win for NC State. They like I, you're correct. Like they are in the driver's seat at this point in the Atlantic Division. Um, I mean, basically they're going to have to lose twice. Um, and and I mean, with what the rest of the division has looked like, I don't know who you're scared of at this point. I don't see it. The most dangerous spot is going to Winston Salem to take on Wake Forest. Yep. Uh, you know, and and we'll get to them. They had a really good showing this weekend as well, and they, you know, yep. Wake Forest has something to say about being one of the better teams in the ACC. So again, we'll get to that, but just yep. for now, incredible win by NC State. Um, just I, I can't say enough good things about it. Um, so credit to Dave Doran, credit to NC State. Yep. The the other thing I wanted to mention here, Mike, about Clemson. Um, I just, some of the numbers to me are nuts. Like they had a grand total of 10 first downs in this game. The whole game, they had 10 first downs. They went two for 11 on third down. They were held to only, you know, 4.4 yards per play. And Mike, the craziest thing to me is if you really want to like look at like as a whole, what they've done through three games against FBS competition. So against Georgia against Georgia Tech, and now in regulation against NC State. Yep. Clemson's offense has had the ball 29 times. They've had 29 possessions. They have scored a grand total of 31 points. That is putrid. Like, like that's, that's bad for teams that don't have a lot of talent. It is unthinkably bad for a team that is as talented as we believed Clemson to be. So I don't know if this is a, a DJU problem. I don't know if this is a receiver's problem. I don't know if it's an offensive line problem. I don't know if it's a Tony Elliott problem. Like, but there's something that's not right here. And I, I'm also kind of with you that I'm starting to have real questions about if this is something that they're able to get fixed this year. Like, this feels like this is trending towards just being a lost season for the Tigers. Yeah. I mean, have fun going eight and four. I mean, Notre Dame went four and eight five years ago, Mike, like, yep, it's, it's not crazy. And then they turned around and made the playoff, what the next year or two years later. I mean, yep. So it's, it's not crazy, but it, it could happen. I just got to see, I mean, in Clemson's current state, there are some teams that could give them some issues, uh, namely Boston college next Saturday. So, Mm -hmm. you know, just something to keep in mind. We'll talk about that game coming up. Yep. Uh, well, not not on this episode, but on the on the preview episode. Yep. That's how, that's how we do this. NC State, 27, the number nine Clemson Tigers, 21 in double overtime. Uh, huge win for NC State, brutal loss for Clemson, and uh, we'll see where each of these teams go from here. Clemson's offense is ass. It is. That is a technical term, Mike, and you are correct. You are yep. correct. Uh, Mike, do you see what shirt I'm wearing right now? <laughs> I do. Do you know where it came from? Section 103. And buddy, it, it feels like it looks a little bit better and is even more comfortable on a day like today coming after a win like we had last night. Mike, Section 103 makes all sorts of high-quality, incredible products, uh, T-shirts, hoodies, V-necks, everything you want to go find to represent Georgia Tech. Uh, they've got official word marks on all of their clothes, which is kind of this crazy rare thing these days. Um, you know that cool ATL logo that's on the 20-yard line on the field? I do. Steven, over at Section 103, he's actually the one that created that logo. 
he he invented that logo himself, and that's the only place you can go get shirts that have that logo on them. Section103.com, Mike. So go do that. Go check it out. Uh, thanks for men, women, children, everyone in the family. We've, they've got some hoodies that are incredibly soft and comfortable. Cool weather coming in. You're going to want to use one of those to represent Georgia Tech at a, uh, a home game or around the town moving forward. So go check them out. Use promo code GOACC at checkout for 10% off your first order, Mike, at Section103.com. And now, Mike, on to that game that I was super pumped to be representing my team afterwards. Georgia Tech 45, the number 21 North Carolina Tar Heels 22. Hell yeah. Hell yeah is right, Mike. Incredible showing for Georgia Tech in this game, particularly in the final three quarters. Um, I, I The defense is what I have been raving about basically since this game started. Um, they gave up an early touchdown to North Carolina, but... They got after Sam Howell all night. They had eight sacks in this game, and they barely sent, like, what I'd call pressure, right? Like, they, they were only rushing three, four guys at a time, uh, but they were getting home, and, and they were getting to Sam Howell. It was an incredible showing that way. They had 13 tackles for a loss in this game. Um, this is two weeks in a row now, Mike, that we have seen Georgia Tech's defense in particular look fantastic. So uh, I, I was really happy with what I saw there. The other thing, Mike, that we saw was something that we alluded to in the preview that might happen, and sure enough, it did. Sometime late in the second quarter, Jordan Yates got replaced by Jeff Sims to phenomenal effect. Uh, Jordan Yates had played, I think, five possessions, and had gone three and out three times, and they'd kicked two field goals, one of those on a possession where they didn't get any first downs. Jeff Sims comes in, scores five touchdowns, a field goal, and only punted once. That's why you recruit him. That's why you recruit him. And that's that's why you put him in the game, even though, you know, Jordan Yates is kind of holding it close. So uh, I, I I really believe Jeff Sims won the job back last night. I, I cannot say enough good things about this Georgia Tech team. That, that's the second week in a row that I think they've had one of the best performances they've had under Jeff Collins. And I kind of feel like if if you keep this up, this is this is where you, you know, there's a turning point here. This is a proof of concept game. And we might be seeing the actual inflection point where Georgia Tech starts to develop into what Jeff Collins has been promising it that we that it would over the last few years. This team lost to Northern Illinois, and I can't believe it. Yeah, like how? This is not the same how? team. How? I I don't know. Yeah, different team know. now. Uh, Jeff Sims was awesome. He was awesome, mm-hmm. and he came in and you know throws for 112 which doesn't seem that impressive, but he you know, was 10 of 13 doing it. He had 98-6 UBR. I mean, he had a 10 carries for 128 yards and three touchdowns. He had a 50-yard touchdown run. He was outstanding. And I don't want to take anything away from Georgia Tech's offense because it was really good. I mean, they scored 45 points in this game, so I, don't, I mean, I don't want to take anything away. But the story of this game, in my opinion, was Georgia Tech's defense for the second week in a row, like you mentioned off the top. Um, Georgia Tech made enough plays offensively, and they had to. But the defense, stifling a North Carolina team that hung 59 on UVA last Saturday, mm-hmm. is just a really, really impressive defensive performance by Georgia Tech. Yep. Um, yep. Holding this offense to 22 points. Sam Howell had 306 yards and two touchdowns, but none of it came easy. Um, they, they stifled, Georgia Tech stifled the running game. I mean, Ty Chandler averaged less than three yards per carry, only had 48 yards rushing on 17 carries. Um, Emory Simmons, who 
outside of Josh Downs has been North Carolina's most consistent receiver all year. He had three catches for 110 yards, but he had that 163 yard catch. But after that, he was, you know, pretty much held in check. I thought Georgia Tech did a pretty good job on him. Um, and they, they held Josh Downs in check. I mean, down to the touchdown catch, but eight catches for 53 yards for North Carolina's most explosive offensive weapon in the receiving core is pretty good. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, credit to Georgia Tech defensively. Um, I, can we talk about North Carolina for a second? Yeah, we need to. Okay. Um, what's going on here? I don't know. And it's 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 that's the thing that I I, I was kind of turning my head a little bit at this game was like North Carolina has been a very Jekyll and Hyde team so far this year. I mean, what they looked like last night against Georgia Tech was very comparable to what they looked like in Blacksburg three weeks ago against Virginia Tech. And then like that is a completely different team from what we saw last week against Virginia, where they just ran the hell out of the ball and just smoked them like. I, I don't really understand how this happens. I don't, maybe, maybe Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech are just two of the best defensive teams they'll play, and Virginia's not very good on defense. I don't know, but um, that, that might be, that, there might be some credence to that. The might thing be that some stuck to out that. to me is, is Georgia Tech having eight sacks in this game was, again, they weren't like sending like five, six, seven guys blitzing Sam Howell. Like these were three and four man pressures that, yeah, we're getting home partially because Sam Howell holds on to the ball for a long time. Uh huh. He does. He and, holds and, on the ball way too long. And I, I have questions of is that like is that him and just kind of poor questionable decision making or is that freaking nobody's open down the field? Little bit of both. Yeah. Little bit of both. I mean, he had the same issue in the Virginia Tech game. His other really bad game this year is he was holding on to the ball way too long, and Virginia Tech was creating pressure with four. Yeah. And it was the same deal. It was like, man, he seems like he's holding on to the ball a really long time. Now, that was game one, so it made more sense. It's like, okay, a bunch of new receivers, you know, guys aren't necessarily getting open. He's not on the same page with them. He's on the road, you know, in an opener. It's it's tough. Now, this was a road game too, but I mean, technically neutral side, but pretty much a road game. Mm-hmm. And you're going, you're going to Atlanta, and you know, now you're in week four. So it's a month later and you just put 59 on UVA. So everybody's in Carolina this week saying, okay, are they getting right? Nope. They are not. They're a very week to week team under Mac Brown and Mac Brown is recruiting his ass off and his staff does an excellent job recruiting. They can't coach. <clears throat> I'm there. They, they do not have this team ready to play on a week to week basis. They don't, they simply don't. I mean, I, there's no other way to look at it at this point and I don't want to overreact but Joey, this is a really talented team last year. They couldn't take the necessary steps forward because they lost a few head scratchers that they shouldn't have. You know, they gave up 52 to Wake Forest. They won that game, but they, they lose to a bad Florida State team. They lose to UVA. I mean, this is a North Carolina team. That, and this is why when I looked at Carolina coming into the year, and this is actually pretty funny too because – I said on a few different podcasts last week, not sure if I said on ours or not, I'm not sure if this was brought up in conversation, but I said on a couple different podcasts last week, I thought Carolina was starting to figure things out on offense and they were back in the driver's seat in the coastal. Nope. I was wrong. Still wrong. I should have just gone with my gut. They are not the team I thought they were, um, or I thought they could be. They're mm-hmm. not there yet. And this is why I picked against them in the opener. 
And this is why I was not as high on them. Now I picked Miami instead. So let's not pretend like I had everything right. Yeah, this Miami's is, not very good. This is not a Nostradamus situation for you, Mike. No, no, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm far from God here. But <laughs> this is just really, really stunning. And I'm, I am ready, Joey. I'm ready to say that Mac Brown does not have this team ready to play week to week. I'm there. I'm there. They're not ready to play. They're poorly coached. I don't talent. disagree, but it just the weird thing is it feels like that's new. Like th- there there have been clunkers the last two years, but like last year, I mean, it wasn't like they had a you know they had more than one or maybe two games that they just totally no showed. Like they had losses, but like they lost to the Notre Dame team that made the playoff, and like you know they they played well, especially down the stretch, and so it's just it's strange to me. Seeing them just like completely again, all the credit to Georgia Tech and that defense and everything, but like it, it this felt like they kind of sleepwalked, slept walked, whatever, through a lot of this game, and yeah, and it's the it's this continued lack of ability to run the ball on any sort of consistent basis that's just it's head scratching to me. It's strange that should travel, that should be a consistent week to week thing, right? Yeah, I think we overrated Ty Chandler too. Not not we like you and I. I think we a collective media like he was not a very. I mean, he was a fine running back at Tennessee, but mm-hmm. everybody like coming into the year, people were acting like Ty Chandler was just going to come in and run for fifteen hundred yards or something. And it was just like not the case. Like he's not that guy. He wasn't that guy at Tennessee, and this offense line for Carolina, while better than Tennessee, like it's not. It's not so good. He's not running behind Georgia's offensive line or Notre Dame's offensive line or Bama's offensive line. Like Carolina's not sending like five guys to the pros on their own line. You know what I mean? So right. it, it wasn't exactly my point being. I think Chandler's a good player, but I don't think it was a plug and play where he was just going to step in and you know pick up where Carter and Williams left off. And I think that's where this picture was painted incorrectly. But more than anything, Joey, we're talking a lot about the offense. Caroline's defense hadn't been very good. No. Like that's big. That's the bigger issue for me. Like I'm looking at Carolina's recent performances, and I mean Georgia Tech a lot of success in this game offensively. You know, almost 400 yards of offense. But I look at Carolina's defense the first few games. I mean, that UVA game. Yes, they won by 20 last weekend, but that was a competitive game for two and a half quarters. Um, that game really started to get away from UVA, like middle of the third quarter. And, and I look at you know UVA stats last week. Like UVA had almost 600 yards of offense last week. Um, Georgia Tech had a really successful performance last night, like I just mentioned. You know Virginia Tech stifled a bit in the second half of the opener, but they had 200 yards of offense in the first quarter and a half of that game. So like Carolina's defense, which was supposed to be this unit that took a huge step forward this year, hadn't. And while Carolina's offense has struggled at times, I think the defense struggle game over game is the more consistent thing you can point to and be like, you know what? That's why Carolina is losing more than we expected it to. The offense certainly took a step back because it lost skill position talent and stuff like that, but they're still good enough, Joey. They're still good enough to win Carolina games. For me, it's, it's less about the offense. There are questions there for sure, but it's less about the offense, more about the defense for me. When I look at Carolina right now, this defense needs to figure something out because that's where they're really losing football games right now. Well, I feel like they're they're not bad up front. Like they're they're pretty decent, at least on the, on the defensive line. 
you know, maybe a little bit at the linebackers. It's the back end of that defense that's that's kind of been letting them down in a lot of cases. Yes, I agree. Like, for for all the hype we've seen about Storm Duck and Tony Grimes and all that, like Kyler McMichael, Tony, Tony Grimes especially, like he is kind of this all world corner prospect. I, I I've been a little bit unimpressed. Like at, yeah. at, at the very least, sophomore slump. Yeah, something I don't know. So. All to say, North Carolina has some problems that they got to figure out, and they are not going to just run away with the Coastal Division like we thought they would, um, like I no. picked them to. That's not happening. <laughs> um, no. So I don't, I don't really know where they go from here. Um, I, I, you know, it seems like they have the talent to put it together at almost any point, but so does Clemson, and we don't have a lot of faith that that's going to happen. So I don't know. I yeah. don't know. And I think they win the next two anyway they have duke and florida state and gonna be favored against miami they get that game at home but carolina like a lot of teams in the acc they're a very week-to-week team so let's see what you get on a weekly basis would surprise me if they lost the game against miami at this point no (laughs) it wouldn't would it it surprise you if miami lost to unc no (laughs) no and I, and I look just even after Miami, North Carolina traveled to Notre Dame. That game looks, with the way Notre Dame's trending on defense, especially, that game looks losable. North Carolina has Wake Forest at home, but Wake's been the more consistent team. Um, North Carolina goes on the road to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh again, you know, very week to week. And then Carolina finishes with Wofford and NC State. So there are at least a few games here. And I think Carolina's going to get on get on a little bit of a run here next few weeks. I think they could certainly be five and two going into Notre Dame, you know, going into a bye week before Notre Dame, but the back half of the schedule, again, if Carolina's defense decides to take a week off, I think there are some losable games in there. They're going to be facing some decent offenses. So I do, I think Carolina can win this division. Yes. Do I think they're going to win the division going uh, 10 and two, like a lot of people predicted. I don't think Carolina is going to win their final eight games. Nope. I just don't see it. Um, not with the inconsistency on both sides of the football week to week. I just don't think they're as prepared to play as they should be given the talent on the roster. So, yeah, dude, I, I just got to tell you, Nate, like name an ACC coastal team and then say, like, do I think they could win the coastal? Yeah, probably at this point. <laughs> I mean, it's, this is quickly turning into just like, ACC football roulette once again. Like you don't know what's happening to anybody on any given week. So, um, I, I've got a, a sound on that that we'll play here in a minute. But mm-hmm. the a couple more notes I had here, real quick, on Georgia Tech. Um, number one, they they switched last week, and I say switched. They started using this three three five look. Um, it, they had been running more of a four two five base, and they they've switched out to like a three three five. It has resulted in Charlie Thomas racking up something like 74 tackles in two weeks. Um, he has been quite literally everywhere and playing his absolute tail off, and he's looked great. Um, yep. And it's it's clearly worked. Like, they haven't given up a whole lot of anything to two talented offenses, if nothing else. So I don't know how long that sticks around, if they'll you know go back and forth, or you know is it just a matchup thing? I don't know. Uh, or is it just a, a full-time change? It could be. But all to say, it's it's working. Um, and credit to Andrew Thacker and, and, and that side of the ball, the defensive coordinator, um, that coaching staff, you know, they are getting a lot more out of this team than they were in week one and, and a lot more out of the team than they have been the last two years. So credit to them for sure. Um, 
I feel like I'd be remiss if I brought up if I didn't bring up that the officiating in this game was a bit of a mess. Um, there were several bad calls, and I felt like a majority of them kind of went against Georgia Tech. So thankfully, that didn't end up really mattering in the final outcome. But um, that there were several rough officiating moments throughout this game. I felt like, and I, I just wanted to call that out. Yeah. Last yeah, thing, that's... Mike. Last thing. How differently would we be talking about Georgia Tech right now? if NIU had not converted that two-point conversion at the very end of the game? Favorite in the Coastal. They'd be 3-1. and one. Favorite so in the Coastal. Chance they might could be ranked, although Clemson continuing to be bad is, is not helping. Not helping, yeah. Like, that's that's the gravity of that NIU loss at this point, is that what, what may well be like a bowl team now might not make a bowl. Yep. So, and we knew it. We knew it as soon as they lost that game. Yep. So I'm I'm still steamed about that loss, but this is a great win. Again, this is probably the best win. The first time Jeff Collins has beaten a ranked team here at Georgia Tech. So um, really, really good win for for the staff and for the program. We'll see if they can keep it up. There's still a, l- a little bit of a lack of trust in me that like we really have truly turned a corner. But if they have, uh, this is a good year to be doing that. <laughs> week to week. The whole thing is all in front of you. So Yep. Georgia Tech 45, North Carolina 22. Let's move on, Mike. Boston College 41, Missouri mm-hmm. 34. This game also went to overtime. Uh, I was wrong here. I was wrong, too. What a win for Boston College. What a performance. Hats off. Absolute all the credit in the world to Jeff Halfley and that coaching staff. What a win and what a game for this team and this program. Huge for Boston College and the ACC. <sighs> They beat an SEC team. It's more than basically anybody else other than Pittsburgh can say. With a backup quarterback. <laughs> yeah. The worst quarterback of all time, Dennis Grossell. Grossell, Grossell, whatever. That whole uh, run the dang ball, Bobo? Mm-hmm. Boston College did that. Yeah, Pat Garwood with a third, 25 carries, 175. It's seven yards per carry for my math wizards out there, two touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, ran the ball really well. I mean, the story of this game is that Boston College ran it extremely well. Missouri was totally powerless to stop it. And Missouri kept turning the ball over. Um, Basilak threw two interceptions. I think what we thought coming into this was that Connor Basilak would have a ton of success in the passing game. And I, he, he actually played fine. I mean, he, he was 30 of 41 passing for 303 yards, a touchdown and two picks. And, you know, those two interceptions proved to be pretty pivotal in this football game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Boston College, their pass defense is absolutely terrible. I mean, they have one of the worst passing defenses in Power Five. Coming into the game, they were 108th in defensive pass play explosiveness, 108th nationally. And if you look at who Boston College had played prior to this Missouri game, Colgate, UMass, Temple, and they were ranked 108th in explosive pass plays defensively. So, uh, yeah, the pass defense uh, kind of sucks but they were able to overcome that in this game by forcing a couple of timely turnovers and by running the damn ball, mm-hmm. which is exactly what you need to do when you have a backup quarterback who, by the way, didn't play that bad. So no, you yeah. do have that going for you. He was pretty good. Dennis Grossel was pretty good. Um, this was a very back and forth, evenly played hard fought game. Mike, um, just for context, there was only a small moment in the, in the game where this was anything other than a one score game. Uh, Boston College kicks a field goal kind of late in the third quarter 
to take a 27 to 17 lead. Missouri turns yeah. around, responds with a touchdown to bring it within three. Um, from there, Mizzou comes and scores another touchdown on their next drive with about six minutes left. Boston College works it down the field, scores a touchdown, I believe, on third down. Um, it, it, it was an 11 play, or 15 play, 60 yard drive. They score a touchdown with about 35 seconds left uh, to take a 34 to 31 lead. Mizzou turns around, works it down the field, and is able to kick a 56-yard field goal. Yeah, 56 yards as time expired to uh, to tie the game, send it to overtime. That'll play college kickers, baby. Dude, <laughs> all the highs and the lows with college kickers for sure. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, Boston College scores in the first overtime on an absolute dime of a throw from Grossel to uh, Grissel, whatever, to Zay Flowers. Uh, and then Missouri turns around, throws an interception on their first play, a pretty bad interception at that. And that was that um, huge, huge win for Boston College. Again, very physical, very creative game plan. I thought on offense, you know, they, they've they've had to make a change in kind of how they attack this thing with no Phil Phil Dracovic, But this has been really, really impressive from Boston College. So credit to them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was not expecting Boston College to be able to score 41 points in this football game without Dracovic, so hats off to him. Yep, yep. Uh, Mike, anything else in this game? What do you think you see moving forward here? I'm still iffy on whether I'm buying it or not. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm there too. And I just... I can't put a lot of stock in the first three weeks, right? Yeah. I mean, I just... I can't do it. And this was a huge win against Missouri, but I I need to see a little bit more of it out of Boston College. I just I don't think that this offense is Pat Carwell the third ran the ball well in this game and Boston College had a really nice running game in this game. Can they do that consistently? I'm not sure that they can. If if they can, then maybe they're working with something here. But without Jerkovic, I mean they're going to have to run the ball that well. I mean, they're going to have to be excellent in a game moving forward week over week in ACC play. And I'm just not sure that they're going to be able to do that every single game the rest of the way to give themselves like a realistic chance of like winning the ACC. I mean, I look at NC State and their offense and their balance, and I think it's better. You know, Um, now this is because you don't have your COVID anymore. Mm -hmm. So let's be clear about that. With your COVID, you have that without him. Like, if you need to make a throw, is Grossell going to be able to do it? I'm not sure. Like, if you absolutely need it, can you do it? And, and I again, just that that could be one of those spins of the roulette wheel. I mean, if I ask oh, him to, uh, well, yes, ask him to make true. a really tough throw ten times, like he'll make it a few of them, but just not as consistently as Phil Dracovic would put it that way. Right. And also, when does that fall? Right. When does that big play fall? Like, this is like you said, it's a roulette wheel thing. You just have to come up, come up black a couple times, right? That's right. That's right. On the on the right spins. Yep. You, you so. can take it. For what it's worth, Mike, Missouri ranked 52nd in the updated SP Plus rankings from today. Uh, but Boston College 34th, uh, 13th on offense, 75th on defense. So room to be room to improve there. But Boston College at 34th makes them you know one of the higher rated teams in the conference. So. We'll have to see if that continues to be a real thing. And it's also – that doesn't account for Phil Dracovic not being in, in the lineup. Like, And we, we agree that this is a different team with a different approach without him. So we'll see if that holds up. I don't know. 
Yeah, and you know, BC's passing defense is going to have to get it done. Um, you know, moving forward, I, I look at the schedule though, and I'm just not sure how many teams are actually going to be able to truly expose Boston College's terrible passing defense. I mean, BC travels to Death Valley to play Clemson. They can't throw the ball on anybody right now. Yeah, NC State in a couple weeks. Um, I, I guess on the 16th, there's going to be a bye week before they play NC State. You know, Devin Leary is certainly a guy who can challenge BC with the pass defense. Louisville, I mean, it depends on what version of Lee Cunningham you get. Syracuse has no pass game. Virginia Tech has no pass game. Georgia Tech depends on the week. Florida State, no passing game. Wake Forest, really good passing game. So there are some opponents here that can definitely give BC some issues with their passing defense. I think that, coupled with BC's ability to run the ball on offense, is going to determine just how good BC ends up being this year. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, to, to lose one of the best quarterbacks in the conference so early on, and, and certainly, by the way, if he could come back, like, I don't, I, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we've completely ruled Dracovic out for the full year yet. Like, it's going to be a while, but he might come back. We got it indefinitely is what we got. Right, right. So, curious to see if they can kind of keep this up, because, again, the Atlantic at this point, Mike, pretty wide open. It's there for the taking if, if somebody wants to jump up and grab it. So we'll see if, yep. if Boston College can do that. Boston College 41, Missouri 34. Great win for Boston College and another really good uh, out-of-conference win for the ACC at a time that they really, really need it. Yep. Mike, speaking of the Deeks, Wake Forest 37, Virginia 17 from Friday night. Steaming Deeks. The Deeks are good, Mike. They're really good. I love how national media is just catching on to this. Like we haven't been beating this damn drum all yeah. off season. Wake Forest is going to be good. Wake Forest is going to be good. You and I had to convince beat writer Connor O'Neill that they would be good. <laughs> not, not really. He, he thought they'd be good too. He just wasn't quite as high on the defense, which actually has played pretty well. Yeah. I, I went back Mike today and looked at our preseason predictions and between the, um, the win total projections and the, uh, you know, just the, the record predictions we did at the end of each team's preview, we both picked Wake Forest to go seven and five mm -hmm. and to go four and four in conference. And we both took the under and bet on the under seven wins for the Deeks. And I think the thought was, there's no way they're going to win eight, right? Like, if nothing else, you're going to push on seven, but they're not going to win. Right. Mike, they might win eight. They might win more. Like They might win more. This is a high-functioning team that is playing really well right now. They struggled quite a bit last year, but, Mike, they bring back basically everybody, and they have been a force to be reckoned with. They are being well-coached. I have nothing but good things to say about Wake Forest right now. Incredible. Always well-coached. Sam Hartman is taking care of the football. They're running the ball well. They're throwing the ball well. They're playing good defense. They do not beat themselves. Mm-mm. And there are a lot of teams in the ACC right now who beat themselves. And Wake Forest is not one of those teams, which is why they are a favorite to win the ACC. I can't believe I'm saying that. They're a favorite to win the conference, Joey. Yep. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> they could win the conference. Would that surprise you? Wouldn't surprise me. Starting from now, a little bit. I'm still, skept I'm still a little skeptical of them trying to beat Clemson just knowing what that has looked like in recent years where like the best Wake Forest teams and the most iffy Clemson teams, Clemson still yeah. wins by 30 some points. Like, well, but, yeah, 
Also, this... Wake Forest doesn't get them until the end of the year. So, I mean, November 20th, mm. you know, second to last week of the regular season. That's when Wake Forest gets Clemson. Bad time to get them. Right. Exactly. Um, but, I mean, with what Clemson has looked like, if you told me Wake Forest goes in there and beats them, I, I mean, I've heard crazier things. <laughs> that That's on the table. Yeah, and they got some – Wake Forest has some interesting games coming up here. I mean, the Louisville game – this weekend will definitely be a, a good litmus test game because Louisville, I think, has the talent to give Wake Forest some issues, similar to how a Clemson would give Wake Forest some issues with their skill position talent. And I think, you know, you could put some of the Louisville skill position talent in that category, but this will be a really nice test. Wake Forest gets them at home, which is significant, um, and, you know, not having to travel on the road for that game. That's going to be a good litmus test. At Syracuse is winnable. At Army is a sneaky tough game, and we mm-hmm. talked about that um, when we were previewing the season for Wake. But I think Wake can certainly win that game. Then you have a stretch of Duke, UNC, and NC State. So you play the Triangle schools three weeks in a row, and I, I mean, I I think that you know if Wake Forest goes two and one in that stretch, they're probably going to win the Atlantic, regardless of what happens in the Clemson game, because Clemson could drop a couple. That's very possible. Very possible. So, I, I think Wake Forest is definitely a team to watch. I mean, NC State, I think, is is the driver's seat team in the Atlantic. Um, Wake Forest is right there, obviously tied you know, with their with their conference win loss. But I think that there's a real opportunity here for uh, Wake Forest to really make a run at the ACC, and not because all these other teams are bad. I mean, that's certainly playing into it considering Wake Forest talent level, but they're just flat out well coached in a good football team. Mm-hmm. Mike, I have a note. Last, last thing I have on Wake Forest before we get to the other team that was involved in this game. Um, I have a note here that Wake Forest drive chart was just stupid in this game. And it was from the start of the game. Wake gets the opening kickoff and here's what they do. Nine plays, 75 yards, touchdown, 12 plays, 67 yards, field goal, Seven plays, 75 yards, touchdown. 15 plays, 71 yards, field goal. Nine plays, this is now into the second half. Nine plays, 83 yards, touchdown. Nine plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Seven plays, 27 yards, field goal. And then from there, they punted three times to end the game. But, Mike, they didn't punt until the fourth quarter. Yeah. They scored on every single drive. Yep. Like, that is (laughs) obscenely efficient. That's crazy. It's time to have a conversation about this Virginia defense. Uh, yeah, let's let's go there. So, good job, Wake Forest. Wake Forest, really good. Uh, Mike could win win the whole damn conference. Why the hell not? Um, yep. Good stuff, Wake Forest. Mike, they probably Mike, won't, but they could. Let me let me ask you this, Mike. And, and I kind of I, I alluded to this I think earlier in the weekend when we were going back and forth on Texas. When's the last time that you saw Virginia and Pittsburgh in the same place at the same time? Because I think there's a shot that these are like the same team. They're the same exact team. They have a they have a very well, I want to say very I think UVA has a very good quarterback. I think Pittsburgh has a very good quarterback depending on what week it is. Mm-hmm. Brennan Armstrong has been consistently good all year. And Kenny Pickett to his credit's been good all year too for Pittsburgh. He's been good. Both but, of um, them good for like a horrendous turnover at some point, usually like in the third quarter or so, but largely very good and the only thing going for the offense. 
a back-breaking, terrible interception. Uh, but they're probably going to account for at least 80 to 85% of the team's total offensive output, and maybe that's low some weeks. Mm-hmm. So I, I like for, so Virginia outright refuses to run the foot. I mean, that, I don't want to say they refuse to run the football, but they certainly refuse to run it well. Yeah. Uh, they can't run the ball well at all. Um, they haven't been able to for years. For years, they haven't been able to do it. It's been totally dependent on the quarterback, uh, whether it's Perkins or Armstrong. It's been totally reliant on the quarterback to do everything with his arm and his legs because UVA cannot run the football with their running backs. Pittsburgh can't run the football with the running backs. We'll get into them in a, in a few minutes. But, you know, I've been impressed with UVA's offense. I, I, they have a ton of good receivers. I mean, Billy Kemp's been really good because he's finally been healthy. He's been good all year. Jelani Woods had four catches for 73 yards and a touchdown in this particular game. He looks like an NFL receiver. And then Dontavion Wicks uh, was the guy in this football game, eight for 114 and a touchdown. So UVA's offense, it's kind of baffling to me that, you know, they account for, as a team, UVA had 506 yards of offense and only 17 points. That's baffling to me. Yeah. It's, it's quite shocking. But... They can't run the ball very well. UVA had 11 penalties in this game for 83 yards. It certainly kill drives mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and then UVA had the two turnovers as well. You know, they lost a fumble and Armstrong through the interception. So, you know, shoot themselves in the foot with penalties and commit a couple bad turnovers and then not be able to get a stop defensively because the defense is trash. I mean, they, they give up 59 North Carolina, which I'm willing to throw away if you can get stops against other teams. Wake Forest is a good offense. Uh, we've made that clear. But I, I wonder if UVA is just a very bad defense at this point with, with the way they've played. It's been a struggle. It's, it's been two straight weeks of big plays left and right being allowed by this defense. Um, and, and they've struggled to stop the run, too. I mean, it's not just passing plays. Like, you know, a little bit of a, a, an unremarkable four and a half yards per carry for Wake Forest in this game. But... I mean, that was 45 carries for 200 yards and a touchdown. Like, Wake Forest was able – like, we, we figured that North Carolina would be more – maybe more talented, more capable of running the ball a little bit on Virginia's defense. Wake Forest is not does not have the dudes in the trenches in the way that North Carolina does, and Wake Forest had no problem running the ball here. So, Virginia has some pretty big issues on defense. Mike, this game, too, Virginia's offense – I, I would say a good amount of sloppiness. I mean, like you said, I mean, it's 11 penalties for 83 yards, and that's on both sides of the ball. But Virginia starts the game with a turnover on downs in the red zone. Uh, they get the ball first and goal at the four-yard line, uh, and they end up moving around like three plays, negative one yard, and then go for it, and it's an incomplete pass. Uh, they had two turnovers, I believe. Yeah, fumble and interception. They had another turnover on downs. Uh, in the early fourth quarter when they were down by 20 points. And then finally, they they finish the game with the ball in the red zone, and they're not able to punch it in as time expires. Now, not that that would have mattered, but it's just that is a lot of drives to come up empty on, and especially in cases where in, in multiple of these, like you had a fortuitous situation to put some points on the board, and you just couldn't do it. So it's it's like you racked up a whole lot of yards. Brennan Armstrong throws for 407 yards and two touchdowns in a game you scored 17 points. 
Like that yeah. that isn't gonna do it. Yeah, UVA took a page out of Virginia Tech's playbook with the red zone play calling. Mm-hmm. Not and great. execution for that matter. Yeah, not great at all. It was real poor. I will say Dontavian Wicks has been quite the revelation for them at receiver this year. Um, he's a guy who's really stepped up. And like you said, Jelani Woods has also been a really nice addition for them. Um, Woods, not a particularly fast guy, but he kind of proves the point that you don't really have to be all that fast to be almost impossible to cover when you're 6'7", 265. He is built like a friggin' truck, Mike. <laughs> Yeah, he is for sure, and I—he's just constantly open. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he—it just feels like he's always open. Mm-hmm. And I don't really get it because he's been good all year, and teams have to be scheming for him. He just consistently gets open. That's yep. why I think he's an NFL receiver. Yep, yep. Uh, one other note here: Wake finishes this game with six sacks on Brennan Armstrong. And that's where you end up with a really funny-looking line for Brennan Armstrong where he has 17 carries for 33 yards and a long of 31. Turns out there's a lot of negative yardage in there when you get sacked six times. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Uh, yeah, that's generally a pretty good indicator. Yeah. Uh, the other note I had was Virginia's defense having a terrible time trying to get off the field on third down. Wake goes 7 of 16 from on third down and uh, – one for one on the fourth down they attempted to. So, yeah, um, this was a pretty dominant effort for Wake Forest in a game where Virginia had some sloppiness on offense and it just got capitalized on. And Virginia seems like a team that they they have some capability, but they are not not really in a, in a position where they're they're sharp enough to realize it right now. Um, they're not they're not able to put it all together at this current moment. Yeah, I agree. I, I think they'll get there for sure. Uh, it's going to take a little bit of time. I, I think they'll get there. I just, you've seen too many men hall coach teams where defensively they, they're solid that I feel like this could just be a situation where they've lost some key guys at all three levels and, you know, they're still trying to find their way a little bit. I don't want to just outright dismiss them as, you know, a team that's not going to figure it out all year. But as it's currently constituted, I mean, they've played two pretty good ACC teams on offense the last couple of weeks, and they can't tackle anybody right now. Mm-hmm. So they, they really got to figure that out. I think they have, if they're able to just play mediocre defense the rest of the way, they're going to win their fair share of games because I think the offense is too good. Um, and again, you know, had some red zone issues in this game, didn't capitalize when they could have, but I mean, they, they're putting up, you know, five or 600 yards a game on offense. So when you do that, I mean, the ball is going to bounce if you can get a few stops on defense. So should be enough to get you there. Last uh, but thing, this Mike. Is the ACT. Yeah. <laughs> As always, we love this conference. Uh, Mike, last thing that I got here, you know, who's starting to get a little bit of some national attention and run with as good as Wake Forest has been? And the claw fence. That's correct. Yep. Dave Clawson. I, we, we've talked to Connor O'Neill in the past about, you know, how long does he stick around at Wake Forest? And he sounds like it sounds like Dave Clawson is, is legit just very happy being at Wake Forest and with that program and kind of what that school is and, and everything. And, and so it's just, it's interesting now that Wake is starting to, you know, they're, I believe they're ranked this week. 
like you start getting into the national conversation a little bit more as you know one of the best teams in a power five conference curious to see if he gets any run in any other uh openings around around the the league or around the country we'll see yeah i mean he should i mean his name for what it's worth joey like when you go on the virginia tech message boards like Claus's name is now coming up there mm-hmm. you know when considering okay if tech moves on from puente you know would you consider a guy like dave Clawson? i'm not sure that would have been the case a couple of years ago and you see that question and the answer is every day of the week and twice on sunday like I would, I, I don't want to get involved for Virginia Tech coaching discussion, but I would love, to, I would love to see Dave Clawson in Blacksburg. That'd be totally fine with me. Just get get a staff that can recruit a little bit and give me that offense. <laughs> Enough said. Yep. Enough said. Wake Forest thirty seven, Virginia seventeen. Mike, let's keep moving. We are uh, we're running kind of long here. We got some more to get into. Syracuse twenty four, Liberty twenty one. Huge win for the Orange. A uh, game they were they were underdogs in, home dogs on a Friday night. Um, Andre Schmidt hits a 35-yard field goal to win the game as time expires. Um, interesting note here: Garrett Schrader starts this game for Syracuse instead of Tommy DeVito. Uh, Garrett Schrader, of course, the transfer from Mississippi State, scores a couple rushing touchdowns and goes six of 15 passing for 77 yards. Are we sure that Schrader and DeVito didn't just do like a jersey swap? Jersey swap. I, I totally butchered that. Jersey swap. Because I didn't really see that much of a difference with the passing game. It, yeah. I mean, the only thing is that if if that's what happened, then Tommy DeVito, the, the man, also took like double his normal pre-workout because he's usually not this good on the ground. So I I don't know. Garrett Schrader added something in the uh, the run game here that Tommy DeVito normally doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Good for Syracuse. Good for them. Good for Syracuse. Uh, Sean Tucker. Syracuse is realizing that Sean Tucker is a competent running back, and they're just going to run him into the damn ground. And you know what? Good on him for doing that. Because it's the only real source of offense that they have. He had 169 yards, 5.3 yards per carry. He had a touchdown. You mentioned Garrett Schrader had two touchdown runs. Basically, if Sean Tucker doesn't carry the ball like 25 to 30 times a game, with success, Syracuse has no offense. So yeah. just yeah. load the box and make them throw. That they beat Syracuse. Uh, Syracuse is now three and one. First of all, I'm I'm shocked Liberty lost this game. Right? I mean, Malik Willis hit 205 yards passing and three touchdowns. Why didn't he throw it more? Like they were really trying to establish a run, and Willis is obviously a key component of that with his ability on the ground. But they were really trying to establish a run in this game. I really think they should have just start throwing it around more. Because Syracuse just doesn't really have the tools to stop that consistently, but I, I didn't get it. There was definitely some some sloppiness and some head scratching moments for what Liberty was doing in this game. Um, I mean, in a tie game, they had first and goal from the four with about nine minutes left. They ran three plays, got two yards, and then decided to go for it on fourth and goal instead of kicking the field goal that would have given them the lead. Right. Um, and there were just a couple of moments where. It was like, you know, Liberty had chances to win this game. And credit to Syracuse's defense. I mean, they they played a pretty good game to limit this Liberty offense to only 21 points. I mean, hats off to Syracuse and that defense. Uh, they, they played really well. Okay. Now, let's look at big picture. Let's look at Syracuse. No. <laughs> no. No. We're not doing this, Mike. We're just going <laughs> to... Syracuse is three and one. Good for them. How many games do they win the rest of the season? Want to hear the schedule? Look at the schedule. 
Well, it's interesting because the win total is three and a half. So I think their next win, they go over. So credit next to them win. on that. Next win. Uh, pulling, is, is there going to be another one? Pulling it up. Um, ooh. <laughs> uh, uh, ooh. Schedule. Uh, yeah, at I don't Florida know. Florida State, home against Wake, home against Clemson, at Virginia Tech, home against Boston College, at Louisville, at and NC State, home against Pitt. If you don't win in Tallahassee this coming weekend, it might be a situation where I really hope you've enjoyed the first month of the season because yep. it doesn't get it doesn't it's not going to be as fun the other uh, the final eight weeks to be sure. Yep, we'll yeah, good for them. Good for Syracuse. This is a big win. Another good yep. out of conference win too. Try to they, they should have beaten Rutgers a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Syracuse 24, Liberty 21. Mike, let's keep moving. Louisville 31, Florida State 23. Mike, we're playing the fight song. See, and, and this is actually kind of a, a little bit of a gag because the, the, the people wouldn't know this because this was from our text thread after we posted the, the preview episode. But, Mike, you said you were hell-bent on Florida State winning this game mostly because you thought it was a super weird line and it was do something. It was. Yeah, and then – so you said, you know what? When Florida State wins this game, we are playing the Florida State fight song on, on the recap episode. And, Mike, I had to just – I had to do it, right? Because Louisville wins the game, so <laughs> here's uh, here's Hail to L or I, I forget what, what exactly the fight song is called. But big win for Louisville. They had a really good first half on offense. Yeah, the, the first half was really good. second half was not so good on offense, but it didn't matter. They were up 31-13 at halftime, and uh, Florida State just totally powerless to stop Louisville's offense in the first half. Willie Cunningham, 264, two scores. Uh pretty balanced running attack with any number of candidates. Uh, Blake Cunningham had 56 yards and two scores on the ground, so he had four total touchdowns on the day. Big story here is that Florida State had 11 carries for 159 yards from Jay Sean Corbin, but they refused to keep giving him the ball. Now, he did have that 75-yard touchdown run in this game, so that's good. But Another one of those. Yeah, so, but Florida State is now 0-4. Was the first time since 1974 they've been mm-hmm. 0-4. It's just been a really, really long time. And I just look at, you know, Florida State, and I just, I, I wonder what their identity is. You know, I don't. I'm not sure they have one. I mean, I think they want to establish the run. I think they're trying to do that at times with Sean Corbin because I think he's been the most consistent player on their offense. He's been really good this year for Florida State. Yeah. But, I mean, if you told me that Florida State team we saw in the opener against Notre Dame was going to be 0-4 at this point, I, I would have told you you were crazy. Yeah, no way. And they and they wouldn't be if you just make a tackle at the end of the Jacksonville State game. Yeah. Yep. Make a tackle in the Notre Dame game. <laughs> no yeah. overtime. Tackle there. Like, this game, Mike, was a, a very much a tale of two halves. Um, Louisville led 31-7 to at halftime, and their first five possessions on offense, four touchdowns and a field goal. I think you take that every time. The problem was that it took a pretty monumental defensive effort in the second half for the Cardinals to hang on. Louisville's offense in the second half 
came up with a grand total of two first downs. They went three and out on five of their final six possessions, and they had a stretch where they went one for eight on third downs. They, they kind of got away from the run game, and all of a sudden their offense could not stay on the field at all. And that defense had a super gutty effort to, to, to kind of pull this game out. Um, part of that is that Florida State's second-half offense resulted in a long touchdown run, as you mentioned, by Jay Sean Corbin early in the, early in the third quarter. Uh, you had a field goal, you had two punts, you had two turnovers on downs, a missed field goal, and a game-ending interception. Like, is that bad? It's not good. Yeah. L- Louisville's defense, again, was on the field for basically the entire second half and was able to get stop after stop. And as this game became a one-score game, and, and my dad and I, you know, that's where my Louisville fandom comes from is my dad. We're texting, and we're, like, with about – Six, seven minutes left, it was like, no, nah, Louisville's going to win this. They're, they're going to lose this game. Like, there's no way. <laughs> this defense is gassed. Yep. Florida State was able to move the ball a little bit, but they just they just could not finish those drives, and, and Louisville holds on. I thought that Florida State had a chance late, but then they basically just only scored three points in the fourth quarter. So Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <sighs> yeah. Oh, also, uh, no Jordan Travis in this game. We just Mackenzie Milton again. And – Milton actually wasn't too terrible, so he had moments. Yeah, I do. Do you find yourself like your heart stops for a second every time you see him get hit, especially like taking sacks from defensive linemen coming around the back and stuff like that? It's only natural. I mean, (laughs) after the injury he suffered, and you know, fortunate for us, we get to have that opportunity multiple times for watching Florida State because their offensive line can't block anybody. I I think it's better than it has been the last couple years. But that is not a high bar to clear. Um, it's not. And and again, they're kind of beat up and missing some of the guys they should have. That so yeah, I don't know. Florida State is not in a good spot here. They, they're going to miss a bowl game. Like they're and honestly, Mike, they're staring down the barrel of like two and ten, one and eleven. Like I mean, one one and one and eleven. But what Norvell can't go one and eleven. They're gonna beat UMass, right? Like they're not going win. Yes, yes, of course they're going to beat UMass. Okay. And then do they beat Syracuse next weekend at home? Or like where's where's the second win coming from? Because I the way this team is playing, like they cannot put together like ten good plays in a row, it feels like. Uh, ten. They can't put together five good plays in a row. Yeah, I mean, this is a bleak situation, and I, I don't know what the what the answer is right now. Here's the thing: I think Florida State needs to be really patient with Mike Norvell. But if he goes one and eleven at Florida State, <laughs> buddy, I think they fire him at one and eleven. I just, I mean, is changing coaches again the solution? I don't know. No, well, no. I mean, I mean, definitely not. But you and I know Florida State and the boosters and the demands there and Joey Norvell can't go one eleven. I know. I know. He can't go one eleven. Doesn't matter what the buyout is, can't go one eleven. Gonna have to show some growth here over the next month, you know, four to six weeks, we'll say, and, and get something out of this something out of this team and this roster. We'll see. Willie Taggart didn't go one eleven. No, he did not. <laughs> no. He what what, he went like five and seven or something, and they thought that was the, the absolute rock bottom. <laughs> And that was year one. Yeah, buddy, it gets worse than that. So, yep. yep. 
Louisville thirty-one, Florida State twenty-three. By the way, good good win for Louisville. Like this is. Oh yeah, but yeah, yeah, really good win for Louisville for sure. Let's not dismiss that. Good win to go on the road and, and to hold off that second half charge by Florida State and like, is Louisville able to win the Atlantic Division? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> They're one of several candidates. Yeah, <laughs> roughly seven, except not Florida State, so six. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Florida State didn't win anything. Not at all. Louisville 31, Florida State 23. Mike, Duke 52, Kansas 33. My boys did it, Mike. 16 and a half points. Duke, no problem. Never in doubt. Never in doubt. Not even when they were down 24-21 at halftime. <laughs> I was going to say, never in doubt except for the entire first half. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that was the thing. It was This was a, a very competitive game in the first half. Um Kansas led at halftime, but then Duke comes out in the second half, Mike. They had the ball six times. They scored four touchdowns, kicked a field goal, and then they had a late three and out, like in the last you know two, three minutes of the game as it was already a, a pretty big margin. So that was where Duke really just came out and, and, and stunned Kansas, I think, in the second half. They hit some big plays. Um, Gunnar Holmberg got involved in the run game. He, he kind of did that last week against Northwestern. He did it again this week, and that went pretty well. 17 carries for 88 yards and four scores. Um, I, I don't get too hung up on four scores because that could be a lot of one- and two-yard touchdown runs. But but the point is, like you've got something helping Mateo Durant on the ground. It's still Kansas, so like I don't know if Duke really has something here that's going to work for the rest of their schedule, but... Again, it's a good win. It would have been an embarrassing loss, and they uh, they really put it to him in the in the second half here. Yeah, for what it's worth, Gunnar Holmberg had a four yard touchdown run, a four yard touchdown run, a one yard touchdown run, and a thirteen yard touchdown run. There so, you go. Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, Gunnar Holmberg is uh, the best quarterback Deuce has since Daniel Jones. Again, not a very high bar to clear. That's hmm. Quentin Harris and Chase Bryce. Yeah, yeah, I'll give it to Gunnar Holmberg. Yep. Assuming we're not counting what one. Chase Bryce is doing this year for App State. That different uniform. That's right. That's different right. strokes from folks. Uh, yeah, uh, Holmberg is uh, he's becoming confident, which might be all that Duke needs. It could also be very dangerous and end up in throwing like four and five interceptions in a game, so... We'll see if he keeps this up or not. Uh, yeah, my money's on no. But uh, Mateo Durant, 21 for 124 and a touchdown. He continues to be really good. Uh, Kansas is probably not quite as bad as everybody likes to make. I mean, they're they're bad like this year. But I think they're, they may have a little bit of something here. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Speaking of the hope you enjoyed the first month of the season club, mm-hmm. Duke is 3-1. and one. Mm-hmm. And they might not win another game, Mike. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean this this schedule looks a lot like Florida State's. It looks a lot like Syracuse's. Like this is a pretty ugly schedule at UNC, home against Georgia Tech, at UVA, at Wake, home against Pitt, at Virginia Tech, home against Louisville, home against Miami. Maybe two wins there. They they won't Maybe. be favored in any of those. No, they won't be favored in a single game the rest of the season. I tend to think they they probably jump up and get somebody. Virginia Tech. Well, especially if, if somehow, some way, Fuente's been fired by mid-November, which I don't know if yeah. that's on the table yeah. at this point. But, like, right. you know, that's that's possible for sure. 
Um, they they have won in Blacksburg in the past, in the recent past. I'll, I'll make sure to remind you of that, Mike. Mm, thanks. <laughs> Look, you and Dan Rubin bring up the uh, the damn Super Bowl every time you get get a chance. So I'm going <laughs> to surely bring up Duke scoring 45 in a lane on a Friday night in front of the world. <laughs> and then winning one game the rest of the year. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, anyways, uh, good win for Duke here. Enjoy it while you can, Blue Devils. Duke 52, Kansas 33. Mike, we have three FCS competition kind of games that we want to hit on. Two of them real easy, real quick. Pittsburgh 77, New Hampshire number with seven. Uh, Pitt with a school record 707 yards of offense. There's a lot of sevens here in this game. There Uh, is. Scored touchdowns on 10 of their first 11 offensive possessions. Easy, good win for Pittsburgh. The only thing that I thought was maybe a little bit noteworthy here is that Ben Sauls, the kicker, missed a couple of extra points in this game. So that might be worth monitoring, kind of keeping track of. But otherwise, good, easy, clean win for Pittsburgh. Yes. Uh, For what it's worth, Ben Sauls, yeah, he misses two extra points. But Sam Scarton, the other kicker, had nine of them. Yeah, nine for nine. Yeah, no problem. It'll be fine. Yeah. So Pitt sets a school record in yards of offense. They're not the only ones. Miami, 69. Nice. Nice. Central Connecticut, nothing. Uh, Miami was 739 yards of offense. That was also a program record. Uh, Big noteworthy thing here, Mike, was that Derek King went and got reevaluated by doctors last week, and he did not play in this game. This was the Tyler Van Dyke and Jake Garcia show. And and more importantly, I don't know that we know if Derek King is going to be back, and if, if he's not, that really limits Miami's ceiling, I think, this year in a year where they've already kind of shown some struggles offensively. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say D.R. King was limiting their ceiling, except that would be unfair D.R. King, but their offense wasn't exactly operating at peak efficiency with him at quarterback. So He sure as hell wasn't getting a whole lot of help. So there's No, I, it's it, not definitely not D.R. King problem, but yes, I agree. And then, Mike... There was this other game that happened. Virginia Tech 21, Richmond 10. And I I, I was looking at the box score, and I couldn't help think yeah. this this looked like something where someone like hires a hitman to do a job, and they, they successfully get the job done, but they make a huge mess in the middle of it, and someone might have seen them. Like, it was just a far from a professional, complete performance. Mike, what the hell happened here? Joey, I think I have a suspect. Yeah, is it is it Justin Fuente? Is it Brad Cornell? Brad Cornell. Brad Cornelson. It's the usual suspect then. Okay. Usual suspects. Uh, yeah, usual suspects, not in a good way. <laughs> yeah, this is um, Virginia Tech's really fortunate. To, I mean, this game was never. Um, well, I don't want to say never. It was uh, seven to seven because Virginia Tech decided that when they were leading seven to nothing and forced a Richmond punt. Virginia Tech was backed up inside their own 10-yard line. They thought that was a good time to bring in backup quarterback Knox Hatem to get him some work in a 7 nothing ball game. Good Lord. And he threw an interception, and Richmond scored their only touchdown of the game. Uh, That was in the second quarter. And it was 7-7 to because Virginia Tech decided that was a good time to bring in the backup quarterback. Uh, There was a really bad fake punt that Virginia Tech tried to attempt that didn't work out. Uh, so let me focus on some positives real quick. Trey Turner had six catches for 102 yards and a touchdown. He was really good. Tavion Robinson, six catches for 76 yards. But more importantly, uh, Tavion Robinson ran back a 60-yard punt return for a touchdown. It was Virginia Tech's first punt return for a score in 
three years, I believe. <laughs> three or four years. It's been a while. So that was good. That was positive. Glad he did that because otherwise Virginia Tech would have a really hard time winning this football game. Scored this two is, offensive touchdowns the whole game. Yes. Um, they scored one in the first quarter on the first drive of the game. Trey Turner had a touchdown catch. And then they went 57 minutes. That's not right. Math's hard. <laughs> they went a long time before scoring another offensive touchdown. So, Yeah, they scored an offensive touchdown in the first possession of the game. They took a quick 7 nothing lead. They had the punt return touchdown late in the second quarter. Uh, oh, here you go. I was right. No, I was right. Uh, they had, yeah, they went, um, yeah, they went over 50 minutes before scoring another offensive touchdown. Well, they, yeah, they scored the touchdown on the first drive of the uh, of the second half. Yep, and that was it. Like, <laughs> I don't know. And, and and the thing that concerns me again here, Mike, is I see that as a team against Richmond, who by the way lost to Villanova last week. 33 carries for 106 yards, a shade over three yards a carry against Richmond? Yeah. I don't know. This is this is super underwhelming for me from, from Virginia Tech. And like we've said, I mean, this this just kind of reeks of one of those clunker games that, you, that have kind of become a bit of a regular occurrence with this Justin Fuente tenure. Yeah. The offense stinks. I mean, the offense stinks. Offensive line's really bad. They can't run the ball. And Burmeister is very limited as a passer. I mean, his stats look fine, but he didn't play very well. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, the offense isn't very good. Defense is defense is quite good. Defense. I, the way I best describe this is they have a ten-win defense and a five-to-six win offense. So we'll see where it shakes out. <laughs> that might be a, a fair assessment. And yep. Yeah, that, I mean, the, the team as as a whole then could end up on very much on either end of that spectrum. Like, yeah, and Virginia Tech fans, you know, they like to, and, and I mentioned this last week against West Virginia, like they like to pitch and moan about play calling. Play calling is like third or fourth on the list of like most damning things about Brad Cornell says an offensive coordinator, right? Like mm-hmm. play calling by and large has not been all that bad this year. The bigger issue is that, and this is a multi-year thing, quarterback development has not been there by Brad Cornelson, who's not only the offensive coordinator, but he's the quarterback's coach. So you're, you're not developing quarterbacks, and then your offense simply just isn't executing the plays that you call. So even if they're good play calls, your offense isn't executing. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. a little bit on Brad Cornelson. It's a lot on Virginia Tech's lack of recruiting and issues that they've had with players transferring out of the program and key positions on the offense. Mm-hmm. So that's been an issue. Now they've had guys transfer in who have been good. You know, they've had Justice Reed at defense. Ben last year had a pretty good year. They had, obviously, Khalil Herbert, who was – all ACC running back last year, transfer in, really good player. Raheem Blackshear transferred in. He's been very good for Virginia Tech as a running back and slot receiver. So they've had success in the transfer portal as well. But eventually that catches up with you. And I think what you're seeing now is an offensive ceiling that's pretty low because they've refused to develop quarterbacks and garner offensive skill position talent through recruiting in the transfer portal that's worth a damn. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where we're at now. Yeah. Yep, and you know it would be a much bigger problem for Virginia Tech if the rest of the conference were in a good shape to uh, be consistent and beat them. But you know, Virginia Tech could be pretty uh, pretty meh and still win like eight games because every game is a coin flip at this point. So who can the they hell win knows? the coastal? Can they win the coastal? Yep. Yeah, yeah, they could. They could. They might they not could. be any good. They might win the coastal. 
all the same. Like, yep. Oh, goodness gracious. Virginia Tech 21, Richmond 10. Uh, Mike, that's all I got for games. No, it's not. It's not? What What did I forget? Cue the sound, Joey. Bowling Green 14. <laughs> Minnesota 10. The ship has sunk. Row the damn <laughs> boat. The boat has sunk, Joey. Boat was decidedly not rowed on this day, Mike. The Bowling Green Falcons, 30 and a half point underdogs. Taking down the Minnesota Golden Gophers. What a win for this program. I love it. Prior to Saturday, teams who were underdogs of 30 points or more were 0 and 69. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Make that 1 and 69. Fantastic. Unbelievable. This was a this was a wild game, and it was I didn't get to watch a second of it, truthfully. Um, but I was kind of watching a lot of why, the why is that? I just I, I couldn't couldn't tell you, Mike. It, I think there were other it. games I was watching. Uh, I think I had to go bathe my dog at one point. Like I don't know. There were other things I had going than watching this Bowling Green Minnesota game. Was was PJ Fleck bathing his dog? What the <laughs> hell? What the hell happened here? I, I mean, speaking of taking a bath, I I mean, I might have had a small ticket in real life on Minnesota minus thirty one. That yeah, that so, was a loss caused by halftime. Yeah, not a bad bet, by the way. <laughs> I mean, it might have been based on the score. <laughs> what? What ha- I mean, what happened here? I, I don't know. I don't know. And it. I mean, now Tanner here- Morgan, Joey, Tanner Morgan, five for thirteen for fifty nine yards and two interceptions. Is Buddy. that good? Buddy, it's Bowling Green. He had a five point one QBR against Bowling Green. How is it? Body. I mean, yeah, I don't. This is a this is a wild box score to try to break down. I mean, Minnesota runs for four yards per carry. They rack up 182 yards on the ground. Tanner Morgan only throws the ball 13 times in a game that they were down and scored 10 points in. Minnesota's top receiver was Daniel Jackson. He had one catch for 25 yards. Matt McDonald, Bowling Old Green's Matt quarterback. McDonald. Finishes the game with nine carries for negative seven yards and two touchdowns. Old McDonald has an arm, baby. <laughs> oh, man. What what a weird game. But can I just say this? And it, it brings me no joy to report that it seems like Bowling Green might be finding a little bit of something on defense. No. Now that no. Brian Van Gorder no. is no longer their defensive coordinator. This is truly shocking to us all, Mike. We're not doing this, are we? <laughs> I mean, they had four sacks in this game, seven tackles for a loss. Minnesota had Ohio State on the ropes in week one, and they lost to Bowling Green at home. As a 31-point favorite. Minnesota, Minnesota, Minnesota beat Colorado 30 to nothing a week ago. Yeah. And they just lost to Bowling Green 14 to 10 as a, almost a 31 point favorite. Unbelievable. It's yeah. Uh, let, let's say this. This is why I love this sport, Mike, is that this, this crap doesn't happen in the NFL. No, no, it does not. A, you does don't not. have 30 point underdogs. Right. B, when, when you do have big underdogs, they don't win. Like it's this like crazy upset. This is the kind of thing that I love about this sport. So I am all about it. Go Falcons. Let's let's go get it. PJ Fleck, man. 
God, bro. Not not been a positive arc over the last couple of years. Figure it out. Not been great. Mike, now that's actually all we got on games. You want to give out some awards? We got to give out some awards, yes. Let's hit the music. Here we go. The Go ACC moment of the week, Mike. Georgia Tech had a really big win, and it, it was a, a really good night. But there was a moment in there that was really just the epitome of the Go ACC spirit. Yep. Sam Howell sacked, fumbles the ball. Demetrius Knight, linebacker from Georgia Tech. And by the way, he, yep. was, he was a quarterback in high school. Like, recruited by Paul Johnson for that option system. Like, the kid knows how to run with the ball. He picks up a fumble with a full head of steam. There is nothing but green grass, turf, whatever, in front of him. And got to about the 10-yard line. Got a little too far out over the skis. And took a little unassisted tumble. Fails to convert the touchdown. It was funny because Jeff Sims converted it here a couple minutes later. But yep. here's to picking up a fumble and uh, running it all the way back and then just falling completely unassisted. He had an escort service to the end zone, too. Yeah, he had like three blockers surrounding him. And, and yeah. it was a question for a second of like, well, did one of his own guys trip him or something? Like, nope. He just, nope. Just a full-on turf monster situation. Yep. Sniper. <laughs> Sniper. So... Go ACC to you, Demetrius Knight. Uh, that was a, a good fumble return. It just would have been even better if it went like 10 more yards without falling. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Scored anyway. It's fine. Mike, speaking of Brian Van Gorder, the Brian oh, Van Gorder good. Memorial You Tried Award. We, 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 like, struggled to find any one particular thing here, so we're just going to give this to offense at large across the co- conference this week. Yeah. Uh, we built second half offense. Uh, we mentioned no points, two first downs, just really horrible. Clemson's offense bad all year. North Carolina's run game, what run game? Virginia Tech's offense. I've already went into that in detail. Virginia's <laughs> run game basically non-existent for the entire for the entirety of Mendenhall's tenure. So, uh, if these teams don't figure it out, and ironically, uh, three of these teams were considered by many in the media to be the top contenders of the Coastal. Carolina and Virginia instead of Miami. Those were three really high, really highly sought sought after candidates to potentially win the Coastal this year. And uh, yeah, none of them can play offense right now. Yeah, it feels a little weird to give this award in this way in a week when both Miami and Pittsburgh set school records for offensive you know yards produced. But yep. dude, that was FCS teams. Like that doesn't count. Yeah, this. I mean, this does count. What does this mean for Virginia Tech? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So good on you. You guys, you tried. You tried to move the ball, and uh, it, it went okay. Or, or not so much. Who's to say? Yeah. Mike, do we have a Kobe Bryant Memorial Volume Shooter of the Week Award? Edit this. Let me find one. I am a little tempted to go DJ Uyunglele throwing 26 passes for 111 yards. 4.3 yards per attempt, Mike. That NC State defense played a really good game. DJ got nothing done through the air. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's a prime a prime candidate. I think that is that's our candidate. I, I think the the other one that's a close second is Garrett Trader going six of fifteen for seventy seven yards. I think that's you throw it fifteen times for seventy seven yards. That's not great. Shade not over great. five yards per attempt. It's not great. Not great. So shout out to you, Big Cinco and Garrett Schrader, the 
the Kobe Bryant Memorial Volume Shooter of the Week Award. Kobe. Kobe. R.I.P. Mike, do you have an ACC Player of the Week? I have a couple. Yeah? I'm going to leave one for you. Okay. Um, because I don't want to steal your thunder. Uh, Sean Tucker is one of them. Uh, Syracuse running back Sean Tucker, 32 carries for 169 yards and a touchdown. And then we, another running back that I mentioned earlier that had a huge game is Boston College running back Pat Garwo with a third, 25 carries for 175 yards and two touchdowns. Those mm-hmm. are two running to receive player of the week honors. I know you have a quarterback you want to talk about. Uh, yeah, Jeff Sims for Georgia yep. Tech. I mean, the numbers, uh, just pure rushing yards and passing yards and such, I mean, it's not going to pop off the page at you. But the level of success that that offense was having, the first four or five drives, and then what it did after he came into the game, I mean, that changed everything. And, and he looked like a new man. You know, the, yep. the level of – he was not confident at all in that – Week one loss to NIU. You know, he had happy feet. He just looked timid and scared, and I don't know. He came into this game, looked completely confident. He looked like a, a new man. And, dude, if he plays like that, he's quickly going to be one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC. Like, he, he looked really good in this game. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And, you know, we knew that he had that in him. Mm-hmm. You know, we know that he has a capability. And he show, he's shown that before. He's played in games like this where – He's had a really strong performance. And the biggest thing with Jeff Sims is cutting down the turnovers. And I think having a real offseason has really helped him in that regard. And, you know, now that he's back healthy, I think he's the QB one moving forward for Georgia Tech. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And it's as with anything with Georgia Tech, it's just consistency. Can you can you do this three and four weeks in a row? And if they can, they're right. they're gonna be just fine. And, and I'll be eating a lot of my own words, Mike, and I'm perfectly happy with that. Mike, team of the week. It's got to be the NC State Wolfpack. First ACC team, that, other than, you know, semi-ACC team Notre Dame last year, to beat Clemson in the regular season since Syracuse in 2017. A huge win for the Wolfpack and Dave Dorn and his staff. Just unbelievable for them. Yeah, I mean, it's just a gigantic win. Like you mentioned, biggest win of Dorn's tenure. Um, NC State's a really good team. Mm-hmm. Um, again, very consistent, very balanced. Honorable mention real quick, Wake Forest. Yeah. 4-0, big win as an underdog on the road against UVA. Yeah, Huge comfortable win. And, win that game going away. Well yeah, done for that. Going away comfortably. That's Yeah, that's that's big time. For sure, for sure. Mike, that's all we got for awards. Um, real quick here at the end, I, I just wanted to stop for just a second and kind of take inventory a little bit. I had a couple of questions about the ACC, and, and there's been a lot of talk on the national scale and within the national media about this has not been a good year for the ACC. Um, It's been a total mess. Like I I was trying to come up with what made sense. And, and and I think this was a quote that I heard that I thought was a really great descriptor. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets heads are falling off. The pets heads are falling off, Mike. Yes. (laughs) Yes, they are. It has been bad for the ACC so far. And so let me just, let's just stop just for a second, and I want to ask kind of some bigger picture questions about this. Number one, okay, does Clemson win the rest of their games? No. No? No. Do they win the conference? Yes. Do they win the Atlantic Division? I guess it's a, Obviously, yes. A yes. I'm not so sure any of those are a yes, Mike. I'm not convinced yeah. at this point. Like, as bad as they've looked. No. And- I'm, I'm not. No, no. I'm, look. 
we'll get into this. We're going to have it in other podcasts this week, more than usual. We're going to, Joey and I are going to try to record one extra one because yeah. we have a lot that we want to say outside of these games about different teams in the conference. We'll have an extended conversation about Clemson. So I don't want to talk too much about this right now because I know we're running long, but I will say that while Clemson is in a really bad state right now, we know what they're capable of doing on the defensive side of the football. Mm-hmm. We know what the schedule looks like moving forward. Right. I mean, toughest game remaining for Clemson, probably Wake Forest. Yeah. I mean, NC State was always going to be, I mean, obviously there's Georgia and then NC State was probably always the second toughest on the schedule. Right. So, yeah, it's either Wake or maybe some off chance Louisville a couple weeks before that. Right. I mean, I, I tend to think that Clemson will figure it out enough on offense with the remaining schedule to be functional and, and, you know, get it rolling. And, and I just don't have it. It's the thing about it too, specifically to whether or not they win the Atlantic division is also like, we got to trust wake to play up to competition every week because there's a talent discrepancy there. We got to trust NC state not to lay an egg, which they're known for doing. We got to trust Boston college to have a consistent offensive identity without Phil Dracovic. Um, like are we, and then Louisville is a very week to week team. So it's, it's more about the other teams at this point. And NC state was really impressive and they have been a very consistent team. And Wake Forest has been a very consistent team against an easier schedule than NC State. Boston College, I got to see more. Mm-hmm. Louisville, got to see more week to week with consistency. So it's more about the other teams, Joey. You know, it is. And, and Clemson is the most talented team still. So if they just get it clicking a little bit on offense, this thing's, this thing's a wrap again. Because defensively, they're lights out. And even with the injuries up front, they're still talented enough on defense to, to be fine. It's if they get a little bit of something going on offense, I think the tide turns quickly with Clemson all of a sudden just kind of being that team again. So yeah, it's a small margin for error with Clemson on offense. I feel like if they kind of get those issues ironed out even a little bit, I still think they're they're the favor just simply based on the talent they have. Yeah, the big thing being that NC State now has to lose twice in conference in, in order to you know f- to propel Clemson to to the right. conference championship game. The thing is, I, there are a number of tough tough spots left on the schedule for NC State. They have back to back road games against Boston College and Miami. Then they come home and play Louisville. They go to Wake Forest, and they also have a game against UNC later yeah. like at the end of the year, which they have yeah. struggled in that series lately. So there are plenty of, of dangerous spots for NC State where they could win the Atlantic Division. Um, so we'll have to see if they can kind of keep this this consistent performance up and and play games like they they did. And it's just it's easy to think they could stay uh, like motivated and, and energized to play these games, knowing what's in front of them. So right, we'll have to see. Uh, Mike, does the ACC have a playoff team this year? No, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think there's any way short of you know. Wake going undefeated, or <laughs> like NC State not losing a game the rest of the way and looking really impressive doing it. Yeah, like short of that, I just don't. I don't see it. Do you? No, no, I don't. This is going to be the first year of the playoff era that 
the ACC is not going to have a team in the playoff. If Wake Forest I goes 13 and 0, wins the conference and all that, mm-hmm. their only hope of getting in the playoff is that there's a whole bunch of other two loss, you know, one and two loss conference championships. Like it just we know how this committee functions. They'd probably put Cincinnati in over Wake Forest at that point. Like Joey, you know, I was going to bring that up because I got I got Cincinnati at like plus 2600 to make the playoff. Hmm. And I'm feeling okay you know, about that so far. You know, if they beat Notre Dame and South Bend this weekend, I am going to be feeling real good about that bet. <laughs> and that that's that's with a committee that doesn't like putting the G five in the playoff. Never done it. It's been it has been that kind of year just across the country but in general. This could be the if there was going to be a year, this would be it. That's right. Mike, last question. Coming into the year on our final big season preview, we said we each said, predicted, agreed that there would be three job openings in conference at the end of the year. Are you ready to amend that projection? I am. Yeah? Think it's more? I do. Interesting. I, I don't know why Virginia I say that's interesting because like, I, I agree. I think there's more than that. I think it's okay. time for a bit of a line change here with some of these coaches. Yeah, I think Virginia Tech opens. I think Syracuse probably opens because I don't think they're winning a game the rest of the year. Um. I still think we're in a retirement situation at Duke with Cutcliffe. Maybe I'm wrong, but is Pitt going to be done with Narduzzi? I mean, they got a lot of ACC games in front of them and a lot of losable games. Yeah, I, I think they could be done with Narduzzi. They've already Maybe lost be done with Manny Diaz. Yeah, Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz might be the first one fired. He may well be. Joey, I talked to Cam Underwood on one of my other podcasts that I have. Cam mentioned last week that he thinks Manny Diaz might be fired at the end of October, which. I think is on the table for sure. And when Cam is saying that, that's informed. That's informed delivery, like the postal service. Yeah. Some informed knowledge there that goes beyond him just saying that. So yeah, he knows stuff. Cam, yeah. Cam, Cam knows stuff. He's tied in enough to know what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think we're, I think three is a minimum. I, I think that's probably right. There'll be at least three. And and if not, I, part of me wonders like, what are we doing here? You know, like because right. where so many of these programs are after so many years under the coaching staffs, like it's it it goes back to that question we've asked about a lot of them is like, is this good enough? You know, and so as you mentioned, you know, we're talking about we're going to put together another midweek show this week to kind of dive in on some of this stuff, and we also had some great listener questions that came in. I don't know, Mike, that we've ever gotten three listener questions in like a twenty four hour span before. <laughs> But we did here in the last 24 hours. And so um, we're going to try to answer those and dive in some more on some of these programs. But, of course, we're running pretty long here. I think we're coming up on 100 minutes. So <laughs> yes, might be time to, uh, to shut it down and, and come back another day. Yeah, we've been, we've been running long on the recaps. But there's been so much to talk about because this conference, while not very good, has been very interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting and messy and all sorts of things. So, so many narratives, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, each of these games had lots of things to get into. So this has potential to be the best year of content that that we've had, not from just us being good at this. I'm just talking about in general, like just general storylines, like Clemson not being the foregone conclusion with the conference champion. Like one, it's bad for the ACC from like a playoff standpoint, but with how wide open it is and so many coaches on the hot seat and so many like week to week, so much week to week variability. 
it's just it's awesome makes it interesting for a lot more people within the conference so definitely all right mike let's get out of here let's come back we're gonna again we got another midweek show we're gonna bring in then we're gonna come back and preview some week five action Uh, we do have a thursday night game this week as virginia (laughs) is visiting miami and i have opinions on the early lines on that game so we're gonna come back and talk about that there's some lines that stink, Joey, as you pointed out to me over text. There are some stanky early lines here in the ACC for next weekend. So we're going to come back and talk about those. Mike, in the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel SOS. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. You can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns, as a few have already done, to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. That was that was one of the smoother ones I've had lately. That's good. Yep. Um, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, basically anywhere you can go find our our podcast or any other normal podcasts. Um, hit that subscribe button, the follow button. We really appreciate it. Mike, do you want to tell them real quick where they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there. Also check us out on Instagram at BC Podcast ACC. Seriously, please rate, review, and subscribe. That's That's a big deal. Our, our numbers are our listening numbers have been spiking. They've been real good. So They've let's keep great. that rolling. And please rate and review wherever you find your podcast. Really helpful for us in share a lot of ways. With, share us with your friends. Yeah. Bring some more people into the basketball conference family. We, we appreciate that. Yep. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else? On to our midweek podcast. On to a big week five preview with some interesting games, like you mentioned. Can't wait. Can't wait. We'll talk then. All right. Yep. Sounds good. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.